Hello and welcome to this Catholic News Podcast. Today we're talking about a new study guide that's been published. It's simply titled Catholic Liturgy. Now, before we speak to the co-editors of the guide, we're going to get the bishop's view on the publication, namely that of Bishop Alan Hopes, Bishop of East Anglia and also chair of our liturgy committee here at the Bishop's Conference of England and Wales. Asking the questions is one of those aforementioned co-editors, Martin Foster, director of the liturgy office. Bishop Allen, as chair of the liturgy committee of the Bishop's Conference, would you like to give us a, a bishop's view of liturgical formation? Yes. Martin, I think um, liturgical formation is so important in today's church. We hear about um, formation in all sorts of other areas of the church's life and teaching and so on. But actually, we still need formation in liturgy. Not necessarily what we do in the sanctuary, but um, in how we think about the liturgy, what the liturgy means, what the liturgy is all about. And who would be the particular people you, you think need that formation in the liturgy itself? Well, I think we all need that formation, including bishops, priests and deacons and all those who are associated in any way in liturgical functions during the Mass. Is there a need to think about the kind of people who aren't, you know, who don't have an active ministerial role in liturgy, but might also need an understanding of liturgy? People like teachers and catechists. Yes, I think that's a very important area you've hit on. Teachers and catechists are responsible for helping our young people, our children and young people, to understand the faith more deeply. And since liturgy is how the Vatican Council describes it, is the summit of all that we do and are as the church, and we find what we believe in the liturgy, then that's something they need to be formed in to help our young people understand why the Mass and all the other liturgy of the Church is so important. Thank you, Bishop Allen. Is there anything you've particularly enjoyed about the book as a whole? Oh, very much indeed. It is good to have in this series of study guides, which have been published by the SCM, a specifically Catholic title. Thanks, Bishop Allen. Right, now I'm joined by two people, the co-editors... Peter McGrail, who's a priest of the Archdiocese of Liverpool and Associate Professor in Christian Theology and Head of Theology, Philosophy and Religious Studies at Liverpool Hope University. That's a grand title, Peter. It's a grand department. (laughs) And our very own Martin Foster, Director of the Liturgy Office of the Bishops' Conference here in Eccleston Square. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. So, a study guide to Catholic liturgy. That sounds big and weighty. Where to start? Now... There is a nice, succinct explanation here in the introduction, because I was thinking of asking you the obvious question, what is liturgy? So I shall do that. Peter, what is liturgy? Liturgy, in a sense, is the worship of the church. It's the set of rituals, the set of especially sacramental rituals that the church celebrates, uniting itself and its members with the life of Christ. And I notice, obviously, it talks about the Mass, the Mm -hmm. sacraments, Mm -hmm. The passage to death and on to the Lord and so forth, our accompaniment and our, and our relationship with the Lord. And it strikes me that perhaps that's why in the church it's rare that we can have a liturgical conversation without a bit of a row. Is that because everyone is so desperate to get it right because it's so important? I think everybody's desperate to get it right because this actually takes us to the heart of what it is to be human. The liturgy is, uh, above all else, the way in which human beings, using... Um, the gifts of the earth, 
water, oil, bread, wine, even their very selves, give thanks to God for what they have and also enter into the the most important aspects of simply living, of coming to life, of marrying, of entering into relationship with the church in particular ways, and then of the progress through sickness and towards death. The whole arch of human life is here. So, of course, people are going to get worked up over it. It matters too much. And uh, Martin, who is this study guide actually for? Simplest level, anyone who's interested, but we particularly wrote it for those who are engaged in liturgical ministry. So whether it's seminarians, people training to be priests, people preparing for the diaconate maybe. We now have far more permanent deacons in England Wales. Liturgical ministers, so musicians, readers, lay ministers of the Eucharist, or actually people like teachers who often have to prepare liturgies for schools and things like that. It strikes me as something that could always do with a study guide due to, you know, understandings, misunderstandings. So why the current concept? Actually, in a sense, if we were just to take a little step backwards, the church has been producing study guides to what the liturgy is about for hundreds of years, indeed millennia. I mean, the the stuff that we're dealing with here starts off in, in, in a study context, you could say, in some of the sermons of the great saints and fathers of the church. So you might look at Augustine, and then also through the whole history of Christian theology. If you look at the, the, the study guide, you'll discover there's quite a bit, for example, of St. Thomas Aquinas in there, the great medieval theologian. Because, yes, there have been study guides to the sacraments and study guide to the deep theological issues that are involved here that have been going on for centuries and centuries and centuries. And, yes, as you also said, there's been controversies, which of what? They've yielded more study guides. A study guide to liturgy, well, this is something which, uh, as the book actually makes clear, really emerges at a much later stage in the church's history. It's only been over the last really a hundred years or so that the Catholic Church has been thinking of what do all these things together make? And is there a sort of collective idea for all these patterns of worship and these sacraments and and the idea of liturgy and a liturgical theology is something that developed across the 20th century, really. So we're catching up. It's a study guide which draws on some very old study guides and there's some very ancient traditions of the church in here. But it's brought into a form which bears very much in mind developments in the 20th century and, of course, especially during the Second Vatican Council and in the liturgical reforms that took place after that. Now, what I find very interesting, really, is I am thinking of myself here, and you did mention lay liturgical ministry in terms of readers. I'm a reader, so I pay particular attention there. But sometimes I think in the pews, we find it very beautiful, the liturgy. You know, it is our pathway to Christ. But sometimes the way life is, we go through the motions a little bit, don't we? Is this about sort of reawakening a, a deeper understanding in the liturgy? Well, the the earlier parts of the book really are, are, are about inviting people to look into that. I mean, the, the, there's, there's a strong sense that there is a, a great treasury in the church of, of ideas of what's going on in worship. Which, which can flower into prayer very easily. Those are from the early church, but as I say, also gathered and, and, and brought up to fruition, especially the writings and the teachings of Pope Pius X, Pope Pius XII, and um, the Second Vatican Council. So the book does invite people to think, you know, stand back from it, stand back a little bit from the, the details in its early sections to say, what's the big vision here? What's this in its totality? 
where's the future of humanity and the universe in all of this? And it is that. That's the surprising thing. Though the the book actually does address some of the things around what it is to be a reader about the kind of the techniques, the spirituality, I think it, we'd also recognise that it's important that someone who does liturgical ministry has an appreciation of how their part fits into the whole. And there's something about being a liturgical minister that means actually you're almost a model member of the assembly who's there. So that that better appreciation of how you, what you do and what you contribute fits into the whole liturgy, I think, always helps. And of course, you know, we live in busy times. We ha- Our priests are rather stretched as well. So sometimes one might be thrust into the role of reader, important role that it is, and maybe not get a huge amount of formation in the parish. So that's why I found this quite interesting, because obviously we mull over things like the speed at which we're reading, how immersed we are in, you know, have we read it through first, for instance? It seems obvious, but, you know, these things aren't necessarily taught to you. So a guide like this, personally, I find useful in just collecting some, some simple, accessible thoughts together in order to really, in a sense, do a better job for Christ, would you say? But yes, and it's kind of going on beyond those technical things to maybe saying, well, why this reading in this place? Why do we have a first reading from the Old Testament? Why this Old Testament reading this Sunday? Now, we don't cover every Sunday, but we do try to draw out the different ways the first reading relates to the other readings. And then that's something you can, once you begin to recognise those patterns, you can build on that. And of course, sometimes we we look at liturgy, certainly as as a layperson, as the mass and sometimes forget that there are many other ways of worship, of prayer. We talk about the liturgy of the hours in here and other things, but we do sort of centre on the mass, don't we? But it's more than that, isn't it, Peter? Well, if you like, the the, the Eucharist is is, is, is the the centre of the whole thing. And it's a good Catholic instinct that we place this at the heart of it. But everything else relates to that. In the Eucharist, we have the the sacramental celebration of the Paschal mystery of Christ, of his dying and of his rising. But that also informs everything we do. In baptism, we enter into that by being plunged into it. It's Christ's healing power from his sacrifice that's communicated in the sacraments of penance and also of the anointing of the sick and so on. So, in a sense, it's the one mystery which we naturally find the most regular contact with through our Sunday and even weekday celebrations of the Eucharist. But it's the same mystery being experienced in a whole series of of different ways. So there's a profound unity within the whole thing. What I also found interesting, reading your chapter on the theology Ah. of liturgy, was was sort of exactly that, really, that, you know, a a beautiful line, actually, the person working on behalf of the people in the liturgy Mm. is Christ himself. Indeed. And I thought that was wonderful, actually. I hadn't even thought about, Mm. you know, Christ's participatory role in our liturgical expression. Well, it's the other way around, in a sense, that we participate in Christ's worship of his Father. And he is the one who is the principal agent in the liturgy. He is the great high priest. And all our prayer, all our worship through the Holy Spirit is caught up in his worship of God the Father, which now goes on through eternity. So our little liturgy, wherever we do it, in some little church, in a great cathedral, um, is always ultimately focused on him and what he does. So it's caught up in something which is truly cosmic.
And you actually talk about the the Eastern churches Mm -hmm. and uh, that mention of the Holy Spirit there. That, again, was something that interested me because, you know, we we talk about the Holy Spirit at Mass through our liturgies, obviously, but we don't always focus on the presence of the Holy Spirit, do we? I don't think. Well, of course, that was one of the the major major emphases that were introduced into teaching the Catholic Church by the Second Vatican Council when the first draft of the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy was presented to the, the Council Fathers the big call that came up was, where's the Holy Spirit? We need more of the Holy Spirit. And and therefore, there were several key mentions and, uh, of the role of the Holy Spirit in the liturgy, which were introduced by the Council. And we're still sort of catching, in a sense, our breath as we, as we pick that up and recognise that everything we do in the liturgy, we do in union with Christ. And how can that be possible? Not because we try very hard, but because the Holy Spirit draws us into it. So without the Holy Spirit, there is no liturgy. Martin, tell me about the contributors and the subjects covered. So it's actually a work of a um, a subcommittee of the Bishops' Conference. The Department for Christian Life and Worship, which is where liturgy sits, has a, a, a liturgical formation subcommittee. And that's interested in how we assist dioceses and parishes form people in liturgy. So one of the reasons for this book is we could see the need for it. We could see a need for something that covered the whole range of liturgy that you actually just could could give people and they could use. So, as Peter suggested, there are three introductory chapters that look at what is the liturgy, what's its theology, and then what are the fundamental kind of building blocks that actually make up the liturgies, whether that's words, our postures, our gesture, the various ministers. And then we go through the sacraments of the church as rites of the church. We begin with the initiation of adults. So in a sense, we begin with baptism where we start, but that way we actually bring adults into the church. Then we move on to the initiation of children, so through baptism of infants, confirmation, and then First Holy Communion. Then we have two chapters on the Mass, as Peter has said, it it is central to what we do. How we celebrate it, and then how we understand it uh, theologically. Uh, We then move to sacraments at the communion of the church, so marriage, which is what most people experience, or the sacraments of orders for for deacons, priests, and bishops. And then the next chapter is about the sacraments of, of healing, so reconciliation, and then the anointing of the sick. So in those, we've covered the sacrament, which is the main kind of the central block of the book. And then we have a, a third part, which has two more chapters, one on funerals, which isn't technically a sacrament, but is one of the rites of the church. And then on time and seasons, which looks at both the celebration of the liturgy of the hours and then the liturgical year. Peter, I'm going to, well, am I going to ask you something controversial? Let, let's start with this. You do mention when talking about the Roman rite, I think quoting a liturgical historian, Edmund Bishop, mm-hmm. the genius of mm-hmm. the rite. What exactly is the genius of the Roman rite? The genius of the Roman rite is brevity and sobriety. The genius of the Roman rite is, is that, that a capacity to use, originally from the Latin language, to say very complex things in a very brief and and very clear manner and it's that theological and linguistic tightness that stands very much at the heart of the Roman Rite. Other liturgical families have got much more elaborate and very rich prayer forms. By contrast the Roman Rite often sounds rather stark but you just start unpicking it. I always say each of the the prayer texts of the Roman Rite is is like a a coiled mass of DNA. You start unpicking it and the whole thing just keeps flowing. But then sometimes I suppose, I I mean, this is coming from a man with five children, so I'm I'm probably 
more guilty than most people on this one. But sometimes literally church can be a bit messy and it's not that we're not trying to to, to really deeply engage it's not that we're not recognizing the majesty and the solemnity that we need to have really but sometimes it's hard sometimes kids are noisy sometimes people are set in their ways sometimes there's stubbornness and aggression or you know things you wouldn't like in church but it's it's the tapestry of life and it's there we can still all engage with with good liturgy within all that mess can't we yes because welcome to humanity I think one of the important things that we have as Catholics is this sense of a rhythm of liturgy. It's 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 almost as though it's not all or nothing in one particular event. The liturgy is something that we constantly revisit. We go through the cycle of the year. We go through the three-year cycle of the readings. It's, in a sense, what matters is, is, is not so much the experience in the individual event, which can be affected by so many things, but that constant engagement, the, 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 the working through the cycle of it all, and the working through life as you do that, and that means of bringing to each celebration of it what else going on in your life. And three years ago, my life didn't look like it looks now. I'm sure if you've got five kids, three years ago, your life looked very different and will look rather different in another five. It's that constant repetition, the going round and round and round and bringing into it with each engagement, each celebration of Easter, each celebration of Christmas or what have you, the way we are at that moment, what's going on, and bringing that to Christ and seeing him in that. I think that frees us from the tyranny of the it has to be perfect for me each time. And finally, Martin, in terms of the study guide to Catholic liturgy, in the best case scenario, what would you like it to achieve? I think that those involved in liturgy in a whole variety of ways have this deeper understanding and appreciation of what they're contributing to. And what would you say, Peter? I think it comes for me also down to something which was very important in the Second Vatican Council and across the 20th century, which was the idea that participation in the liturgy had to be full, active and conscious. I, I think that is a very complex concept, but at the heart of it, there is that sense of knowing what you're doing. And if it helps people to do that, if it helps to draw people into a, a more conscious, more active and more engaged participation in the liturgy at the level of heart and of mind, then I think we'll have done something. Well, I think you'll certainly do that. I must actually just add as a little postscript that good liturgy is mind-blowing. I mean, it does, you know, it really, without me concentrating on, on, you know, how it's been planned or what's been put together, and I know an awful lot of work goes into that, but you really feel it, don't you? And it is that connection with Christ that a beautiful liturgy can really take you there and, and make you think about Jesus. Well, but of course, that takes you back to the earlier points that you made, that ultimately a liturgy is, although we engage with it, we participate in it, it's something that is God is doing, <laughs> And we're being caught up in that. Very well said. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. I've enjoyed this conversation. I, I definitely have homework to do, so I'm going to go away. <laughs> Dead it. <laughs> I'm going to go away and read it more thoroughly. But it, it is good, and I should say also to our listeners, that it is interactive in the sense that at the end of each chapter, you're invited to consider what you've read, put it in context, challenged with, with a few questions. And, and I think that sort of more modular approach is actually very useful in any information and formative type of material. So thank you very much. Mm. It's, it's a very good read. And I'd highly recommend it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.